I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. Amen. Matthew chapter 20, just for a few moments. And uh, we're going to look at a familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 20, and beginning with verse number 20. Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse number 20. And uh, I want you to hear the words of the Scriptures this morning, starting with verse number 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may set with you, one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink? And are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. And so he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to set with, to set with me at the right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is to those whom it is prepared by my Father. Verse 24, And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that it would go forth in power and boldness, and uh, we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone said a great big amen. Today, uh, just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, the danger of doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Would you say that with me together this morning? The danger... Uh, you can do better than that. Shout it out. The danger... danger of doing the right thing for the wrong reason. One of the things that I have found about people, because I'm in the people business, is that you cannot ignore people's motives. You can't motivate people beyond their own motives. Because motives have a whole lot to do with who you are, what you do, and how you function. You cannot motivate people beyond their own motives. I must warn you that checking your motives requires you to do something, and that sometimes is to change yourself or to confront yourself. To look at yourself in the mirror and to examine yourself, why do I do the things that I do? Or am I correct in the things that I do? Or is my motive in the right place? Sometimes, once in a while, it's good to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself the question, why do I do the things that I do? Is my heart right? Is my motive right? I find that most people spend so much time trying to discern the motives of other people that they really never examine them own selves. They spend most of their lives trying to change the minds of people about themselves. Their goal in life is, is to change other people's minds about themselves. And they become weary and exhausted and worn out because they're trying to change everybody's mind about themselves. When in reality, people are going to think about you, whatever they're going to think about you. And you've just got to live with that. You have to become comfortable with the fact that not everybody is going to like you. And you've got to become comfortable with the fact that 
sometimes there's going to be adverse opinions about you. Some people will say, well, I don't like your hair. Some people will say, I don't like this about you. Some people think you need to change your friends, and some people think you need to do this. Ultimately, people are going to feel about you whatever they want to feel about you, but you have to rest assured that you cannot be preoccupied about trying to change somebody's mind about you. You've got to rest in the fact that you have to be secure within your own self. You have to have a secure relationship with Christ, knowing that whether people are for you or against you, you are secure. You see, I'm reminded of that scripture in, um, I do believe it's Isaiah, I stand to be corrected, where the prophet said that the Messiah would be a root springing out of dry ground. I've thought about that. A root springing out of dry ground. I think that the prophet was declaring that Jesus would spring forth even when his environment is adverse. You see, you can be also a root that springs out of dry ground. In other words, you can grow and you can flourish and you can be successful even though the environment around you is not conducive to growth. Somebody say amen. You can be a dry ground, dry, dry, uh, root springing up out of dry ground. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I've seen that in my life. I have pushed forward. I have went forward. I have succeeded in adverse conditions. Even when life dealt me the wrong deck of cards, I've learned to stand on my own two feet and learn how to press through adverse conditions because I've been that root springing up out of dry ground. Is there anybody that can testify to that today? You see, sometimes in life, you have to, you have to realize that you have to look within yourself. You've got to look inside of you. Pro the problem with some folks is, especially religious folks, is that they spend all their time working on external things. Now, what do I mean by that? They spend a lot of their time praying about the things that make them look bad. Can I say that again? A lot of times we spend a lot of our prayer time praying about the things that make us look bad in other people's eyes. Our prayer life has been consumed with what other people think about us. And I want to say this, that the greatest challenge is not just to pray about the things that we do. But listen to Pastor Josh. The greater challenge is to pray about why you do the things that you do. That is the greater challenge. The greater challenge is not praying about what you do. The greater challenge is praying about why you do what you do. Why do you serve? Why do you go to church? Why do you give? Why do you extend a helping hand? What is your motive in doing that? You see, the Apostle Paul was very clear to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 7.1, and he made this statement that I find to be interesting in 2 Corinthians 7.1. He said, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves 
from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, sometimes we deal with the filthiness of our flesh, but we, we forget that sometimes there's stuff that's ingrained in us deep within our hearts, deep within our soul. Sometimes we deal with the filthiness of the flesh. We deal with our bad behavior, but we forget that there is deep-seated stuff within us, within our heart, that if we don't deal with it, it will eventually destroy us. You see, ladies and gentlemen, those things which you fail to master will eventually master you. And those things which you fail to conquer will eventually conquer you. And those things which you fail to triumph over will eventually triumph over you. You see, it's just not about the filthiness of the flesh. There is some deep-seated stuff that's found within us that sometimes we got to deal with. You see, we focus so much upon the filthiness of the flesh. we got to dress right and smell right and shout right and talk right. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But we deal so much on the outer apparel that we forget that sometimes there is that filthiness of the Spirit. There's that deep-seated stuff inside of us that we have felt to master. St. Teresa of Avila, which was a Carmelite nun in the 15th, 16th century, wrote uh, many, many different things. Uh, and in seminary, she was one of the main things in church history that we studied. And St. Teresa wrote a, a discourse about prayer and because she was known as a nun who loved Jesus with everything that she had. And in her discourse, she wrote about prayer and how prayer was actually a mansion and how in prayer you, you are on a journey. And in prayer you have many different doors or different rooms to your heart. And the more you go in prayer, the more that you discover that there are rooms in your heart that you haven't yet opened and allowed the Holy Spirit in. I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but there may be some rooms in our heart that we haven't traveled in prayer yet, but I promise you when you travel in prayer, God will open and give you the keys to the rooms of your heart so you can clean out the junk that's found in the rooms of your heart. What about it? Have you traveled enough in prayer that you have discovered these rooms in your heart? Let us purge ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Let us take self-inventory of what's really on the inside of me. What's really on the inside of us. You see, church, the greatest enemy that you will ever have in life is you. Now that's a revelation for some of us, and I'm going to say it one more time because I think it deserves to be said again. The greatest enemy that you're going to have to face in life is you. Because the devil can't make you do anything you don't want to do. But you've got to live with you. You've got to live with you. And it's, it's, it's very difficult not to live with yourself. Because you, you have no other choice but to live with yourself. And you may even hate yourself. You may, you may not even have confidence in yourself. But that doesn't change the fact that you still got to live with you. No matter how you feel about you, you got to live with you. So why do we spend all of our time and energy 
trying to change people's minds about us. When they don't live with you, you have to live with you. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Can y'all give me some love up here? That's the greatest enemy. Because you've got to live with you. And no matter what kind of clone you got on or what kind of clothes you got on, it's very hard to convince other people to love you when you don't love yourself. How can you love people momentarily when you can't love yourself permanently? How, 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 how can you love people when you can't even love the person that you live with every day, which is yourself? Very difficult for people to appreciate you when you don't appreciate yourself. Sooner or later, you've got to come to your senses and you've got to see that God wants to do a makeover, but that makeover has nothing to do with the outer apparel, but that makeover has to do with the Spirit. I don't need my nails done or my hair done or my eyes done. And that's good. I'm glad people get that stuff done. I am really glad. I think that's awesome. But I think that the greater challenge is to have a makeover in the heart. I wish somebody else. The greater challenge is for the Lord to make over you and to remake you in the Spirit. How many have prayed lately, Lord, give me a right heart. When was the last time you prayed, Lord, let my motive be right in what I do? I know I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm going to church. I know, I know I'm doing the right thing. But my heart is not right as I'm doing the right thing. Could it be that you can do the right thing with the wrong heart? Could it be that you could do the right thing for the wrong reason? Ladies and gentlemen, I think it is clear that you can do the right stuff and the right thing and the right activity and do it with the wrong heart and do it with the wrong motive and live your whole life frustrated because you feel like you're doing the right thing but nothing is ever progressing in your life and the reason that you're not progressing the way you think you should progress is because you're doing it with the wrong heart. You're doing it with the wrong heart. But pastor, I'm doing the right thing. Yes, you're doing the right thing, but you're doing it with the wrong motive. The greater challenge is not to pray about what we do, but it's to pray about why we do what we do. It's the greater challenge. We can function right on the outside, Jesus told those religious leaders, you look good. You lengthen your robe out so everybody can see how, quote, spiritual you are. Because the length of their robe, the length of their train, was the symbol of their authority. Jesus rebuked them. said, you fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's, that was their fast day. And you... You give your arms and you lengthen the 
train of your robe. You anoint yourself when you fast. But Jesus said, inside you are full of old issues. Inside you are full of old unforgiveness. Inside you are full of pride and jealousy and strife. You smile right. You dress right. You look right. You pray. You go to the temple. You're doing the right thing. But you are a miserable person because you are full of dead men's bones. In other words, he called them whitewashed sepulchers because they look good on the outside. But inside they were full of dead men's bones. Paul said, let us purge ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Could it be that you can paint the outside and on the inside you feel like you're going to explode? It's kind of like when a bomb detonates. It detonates because of what's on the inside of the bomb. It's not because of what's on the outside. You can paint the bomb any old color you want to. But when that bomb explodes, it explodes because of what's on the inside. And there are some folks today, you feel like you're going to explode. You're going to explode because you have unresolved issues in your heart. You have unresolved old unforgiveness in you. And you, 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 you used to be happy, but now the littlest thing irritates you. I mean, you used to be positive, but now you nitpick at everything. You used to be a great proponent of things and on board about things, but now you find the littlest thing to nitpick and you criticize and you're frustrated and, and you, find, you find wrong in everything that you see. It could be, maybe because something on the inside of you you haven't dealt with. because. On the outside, it's never going to be perfect. Some of you are not in prison, but you're in prison. You're in prison by your own emotions and thoughts, issues. You see the world by the lens that you see through. If you hate yourself, you'll hate everything around you. Only Jesus can help you. Sometimes you've got to come to the end of yourself and you've got to say, God, help me with me. God, help me with me. It's me that needs to be fixed. And I'm reminded of that story we just read the story of Zebedee, the mother of Zebedee. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, look at it, verse 20. The Bible says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said, Grant that my two sons may sit with you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now, let us stop here and ponder on this verse. The woman came to Christ 
and she knelt down and she worshipped him. Let me say this first and foremost, that worship is a powerful thing. Worship is a wonderful thing. Worship can change your life. This woman came to Christ and she did the right thing. She worshipped him. If it was you or if it was I, I would worship him too. But I want you to notice that when she fell down and she began to worship him, Jesus immediately asked, what do you wish? Jesus understood that this woman wanted something. Her very act of worship propelled Jesus to ask the question, what do you want? She kneels down and she says, grant that my two sons will sit with you in your kingdom. Now, I think that this is pretty bold, don't you think? Here is this woman who loves her two sons, and she runs to the master, she worships him, and she says, and the Savior said, what do you, what do you want? She says, I just want my two sons to sit with you in your kingdom. And Jesus said, Jesus said, listen, can, can your sons be baptized with the same baptism and drink the same cup that I'm going to drink? She says, yes. And Jesus didn't refute that. You know what Jesus said? For me to give permission for your sons to sit with me on my right and left is not for me to give. It's been reserved for those who the Father has reserved it for. Now I want you to see a principle in this scripture. And I want you to see a different angle in this scripture. This woman did the right thing. There's nothing wrong with worshiping Jesus, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with Jesus asking you what you want. But could it be that she did the right thing, but she did it for the wrong reason? She was thinking to herself, now could it be, I, I'm not sure, I'm just asking you the question, could it be that maybe she did it for the wrong reason? That she worshipped the Lord, which was a good thing, a right thing, an acceptable thing to do, but she may have done it for the wrong reason. She's thinking to herself, if I give him a little worship, maybe he will grant my petition and let my boys sit with him in his kingdom. Maybe if I give him a little praise, then maybe he will allow my boys to reign with him in his kingdom. This woman had no idea what she was asking. Could it be that we can do the right thing for the wrong reason? I'll give you a little worship, but maybe you could. Help me out, Lord. And you know when people are really in trouble, they come to church on Sunday morning, and if they're really, really in trouble, they're going to come Sunday night. And really, if they're bad in trouble, they'll show up to Wednesday night Bible study. But after they get through their little mess, you don't see them again. I wish somebody just... Did they do the right thing? But did they do it for the wrong reason? People say, boy, I got court on Monday morning, and ha, 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 you know, my brother used to do that. 
They'll show up to church on Sunday morning, but when, when, when it's over, you never see them again. You do it for the right reason. You do it for the wrong reason. You do the right thing, but you do it for the wrong reason. And I swear that's probably what kills pastors. People who do things for the wrong reason. They're never consistent. They'll come for a little bit. Cry. I mean, I've, I've prayed with people. They'll cry, fall, and squall, fall on the floor. And we think we had a breakthrough. But their spirit is filthy. Because their motive was wrong. They just wanted God to deliver them so they didn't have to face the consequence of their own sin. They never worship God because they truly love God. They only worship God for what God could do for them. And I pray to God that God gets a hold of our heart, that we come to a place in our life, Lord, whether you deliver me from the fire or whether you don't deliver me from the fire, I'm still not going to bow. Whether you part the Red Sea or whether you don't part the Red Sea is not up to me to make that decision. I worship you because of who you are. I love you because you are God. I give you glory because you are Master and you are Lord and you are Savior. Not because of what you can do for me and not because of what you can give to me. God, forgive us. And we come to church even I've done God, give me your presence. Give me your presence. Give me your presence. And that's wonderful. I desire his presence. But I have learned that even when I do not sense his presence or do not feel his presence or do not even feel moved, that does not affect who God is. God still needs to be worshipped. God still needs to be honored. God is still master. God is still Lord. He's still the creator of the universe. Somebody better stand and say, you're preaching right there. He is still God and He is still Lord in spite. I can be a root and I can spring up out of dry ground. It's my environment doesn't have to be conducive to my growth. Could it be that this woman did the right thing, but she did it for the wrong reason? I'll go and give you a little worship because inwardly, it's not because I believe you're the God of the universe, it's because I know you have the authority put my boys on your right and on your left. She was thinking of an earthly kingdom. Preoccupied with an earthly kingdom. Judas betrayed the Lord with 30 pieces of silver because he was anxious about developing a kingdom on earth. Judas wasn't too happy Jesus wasn't overthrowing the Romans and setting up his kingdom. Judas wanted power. and Judas wanted to be somebody special in the Lord's kingdom. And so, since Judas couldn't manipulate the Lord to establish an earthly kingdom, even the disciples cut off the ears of the servants 
because they're so anxious for a coming kingdom. That's why at his crucifixion, only one disciple showed up. Because I'm convinced that the 11 of them had wrong motives. Their motive was, we want to be your boys in this new kingdom that you're going to establish on earth. Oh, pastor, that's not scripture. I beg your pardon. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is ascending to the Father. And Jesus is talking about baptism of fire. And then the disciples all of a sudden say, Lord, when are you going to set up your kingdom? The Lord says, that's not up to me to make that decision. I'm convinced that we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. What about it, my friend? Have you checked your motives right? Have you checked your heart? Have you asked the, yourself the question, why do I do the things that I do? When you give the offering this morning, what was your motive? Did you give it because you wanted to be seen? Or did you give it because you really do love Him? And you love His church. And you love His kingdom. Do you come to church because you want recognition? Or do you really come because this is a time we set aside to give Him honor and glory? When you serve, do you serve because of somebody asks you? And there's nothing wrong with that. But is your motive to honor God in your service? Why do we do what we do? 